Leave it at that, Cliff. Uh, there should be a picture. No one here is old enough to remember that. Uh, the Johnstown flood of 1889 was a culmination of torrential rains. Those of anybody from Pennsylvania, this happened in Pennsylvania. Um, it was a combination of torrential rains, uh, a, let's say, and I've read it, I read on it multiple places, I watched a couple videos, and I actually had a video I was going to play, and uh, some of you are quite disappointed I haven't played a video in four or five weeks, uh, trying to make it for a year without doing it now, see how much you complain. But in any event, uh, the area nearby had been purchased by wealthy steel barons where this pond was. Those of you who are hunters, they had set up a hunting club. And instead of investing in protecting the dam, in fact, they changed the dam, made the road wider where they could get to their hunting lodge, lowered it to where now the dam was unstable, these wealthy people, and, and please... Maybe it wasn't all on them, but that's the way some of the historians wrote it. It's as if they didn't really care that the dam might break someday. But compounded with torrential rains, and there were at least three engineers that had come out at different times to say, you need to do something. And on a particular day, May 31st, is when it broke. And most historians say 2,200 died up to perhaps 3,000 died as those waters washed that city almost completely away. There's another great picture that I should have put in there, I didn't, of a church that was not touched at all. And those of you who have been around natural disasters, sometimes a tornado will come and skip a house and, you know, that kind of thing. But bottom line is, they chose to avoid their last chance to go to higher ground because either they didn't think it would happen, they didn't care that it might be small, or perhaps they just didn't believe that the warnings they were giving were true. Well, as we pick up on chapter 12 in the Gospel of John, this section marks the end of Jesus' public ministry. And the verses today, Jesus summarizes himself. He says he is the light. That he is the face of God. And that is the theme from um, Space Jams. Isn't it? Space Jams? That's, my mind always thinks in movies. I can, you know, so uh, Jesus says, I am the light. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you hear my voice, you've heard the Father's voice. In fact, he says, I didn't come to judge you, but if you don't heed my warnings, this is your last chance, if you will. In fact, he says... I'm the telegram. Just as those people had three telegrams that day, engineers that had come, and then three telegrams, one that was sent at 3 o'clock, and it broke at 3.15. He said, I'm the last telegram you're going to get because this is your last chance. So if you have your Bibles, look at John, the 12th chapter, and we'll start at verse 42 and close out the chapter. He's spinning off of this quote from Isaiah, and I think you can see the tie-in to it because in verse 40 from Isaiah, it talks about blind eyes, hard hearts, and how he would long to heal them. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess that faith 
their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they love praise from men more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that you are in the business of second chances. But in this text today, Jesus is telling those that are hearing him as he looks towards the cross that this is their last chance. Most of us always expect a second chance down the road and multiple chances when it comes to how often we fail and mess up. But there will be a time. There will be a last chance. And we pray that before that last chance comes, each one of us would make that decision to follow you, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, to trust in him, and to seek your praise, not the praise of men. Let these words touch our hearts. Let our hearts not be hard. Let our hearts be understanding. And let our eyes be open on how we might better serve you and proclaim the news that Jesus has come, has died, came back from the dead, and is coming again. This we pray in the living power of Jesus' name. Amen. We have uh, each heard and ignored the call that said something like this. It's your last chance. This is your last chance. Whether you're a child or a parent, an employee or an employer, you've probably heard something, and I'll just list a few. This is your last chance to surrender. Ray Shabilsky's probably said that before. Gun drawn. Last chance. I don't know. Maybe he hadn't. But your last chance, you know. Some of you have been at the airport. This is your last call. Last chance. The doors are shutting. I don't think we see it as often these days, but growing up, I remember you'd see signs when you're traveling, last chance for gas. And I bet you out in West Texas, there are maybe still some of those, right? You get off the interstate, you better buy gas now or you're going to be walking somewhere. Or if you watch the shopping networks, which I don't, no, never, yeah, last chance to buy this one. After this is sold, they're all gone. Then you tune in the next day, and there's 500 more of them. <laughs> last chance to save. Last chance to sign up. Last chance to vote. Last chance to win. Last chance to party. Last chance to potty. 
said that just for my mother and sister. We hear it so often, <laughs> and those of us who are older never pass the opportunity, I know. We hear it so often that we convince ourselves that there will always be a second chance. Another chance. One more opportunity to do whatever it is or whatever we should do that we've been putting off. John writes that many of the leaders, and most likely they were prominent men, I'm sure there were prominent women, but we have two named for sure up to this, well, in Gospel of John. Nicodemus, remember, stood up for him, stood up for Jesus in the midst of the Sanhedrin to say, let him speak. Joseph of Arimathea would be the one who would give up a tomb for Jesus' body. But many of these leaders of the day wanted to believe in him, but were afraid to confess him. Why? according to the text, because they would be put out of the temple. And I will remind you when we talked about uh, Jesus here healing the man blind from birth. You remember we had like four different interviews where the Pharisees and the religious leaders interviewed the man. They interviewed like his friends. They interviewed his parents. And the parents in that context said they were afraid because if you confessed Christ you would be kicked out of the synagogue. And I tried to remind you there, and that's the, you know, that's the great thing about you know, building as you continue through one book of the Bible. If you remember some of this, to be kicked out of the temple meant that you would no longer have your family if they stayed in the temple, as in worship. You couldn't find another job because if you're not a Jew, a Jew's not going to hire you. You probably couldn't find a good restaurant to go to. And what's more, politically speaking, if you truly were excommunicated, if you will, no longer considered a part of the Jewish community, the Romans who governed that that time would tell you if you're no longer part of the synagogue, you must worship Caesar. And if you don't, you risk death. Hmm. So I can understand a little bit of their fear but they were also in love with the praises of men, more so than praise from God. So, first thing to consider, this is the last chance to praise him. What if it was? We all love to be praised, don't we? Thank you, somebody's still listening. One person, one honest person in a Baptist congregation. That usually makes a church right there. We love it. Somebody says to you, nice shirt. Well, thank you. Somebody says, you're looking sharp today. Nice car. You are pretty. You're handsome. I admire your dedication. You're so sweet. What a wonderful person you are. And that's outside the church. Then you come to church and they say, oh, you know the Bible. Wish I knew it like you did. Wish I could pray like you pray. Thanks for being a teacher. You're a great volunteer. You do so much. You give so much. If you didn't give, this church wouldn't exist. What a prayer warrior you are. You get the picture. 
Well, I like to be appreciated, and I want you to know we all do. And I appreciate each one of you. And I was not looking down my nose or condescending anyone for praises. But it is important to consider whose praise you are pursuing. It's natural to seek praise. From our earliest days, how many of you can remember the first time one of your children rode a bicycle without training wheels? They're usually, if they're not so focused on the wheel that they're going to fall over, they're looking back at you because you're doing this, or maybe you're running alongside them if you could keep up, but they're seeking your praise. Our kids are always wanting the thumbs up from mom and dad. And if you ever stop giving the thumbs up, they might pursue the thumbs up from somebody else, or they don't, they're no longer content with the thumbs up. They seek the world's thumbs up. Do you remember the story of the widow in Luke? Chapter 21, they're giving money at the temple. And the wealthy people, and most commentators explain that there were some kind of big, I imagine for my music people in here, a tuba, or sousaphone, I should say. A suit, not, or it could be a tuba, the big bell. And there they would drop their money into that. And if you had a lot of money, think of all the noise it made. You know, all the chains slamming down. And here comes this little lady. And she drops in her two pennies or two mites. I think it's King James says two mites. And I hear, clink. And Jesus sees that. And he sees these wealthy people giving out of their excess and says about her how blessed she is because she gave all that she had. Don't miss the last chance to praise him, to seek his praise and why would you seek the praises of men when God will praise you for faithful service? Read Matthew 25, verse 21. Jesus has been telling about a, a servant who's been faithful. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Faithfulness in life is acknowledged by the Lord of heaven and commended by the Lord, saying, thank you for your faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what it is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. I know, it, and we talk about this in preaching, you can talk about it in anything. You can get a hundred compliments on the right-hand door with all the old people, and then you get one bad comment from somebody on the left side, and it negates the hundred positive compliments, right? And I made that for me, and really it doesn't, because I've got pretty thick skin. Uh, but there are many of you that you know, you go to work, you've, you've you're doing the best you can. Let's go back to the way you look. You've got your best dress, your best suit on, your, I don't know, maybe your work clothes are peer, you know, pressed. You've got your blue jeans. If you're Texan, you, you've got the dry cleaning blue jeans. I mean, you're looking good. And you feel really good, and everybody's told you how good you look, and then all of a sudden this one person says, you look so tired. Are you okay? You just want to slap them. One negative 
often just destroys all that goodness. James Taylor is one of my favorite musicians. I know some of you don't like him, and that's okay. I'm waiting for someone to say, not me. Um, in fact, two or three years ago, Brendan and I got to go to Austin and, and hear him. And let me tell you, he's 10 years older than I am. I can always remember that. I'm born in 58. He's born in 48. And his voice, two or three years ago, was just as crystal clear at whatever age that was, 70, whatever. And uh, it's phenomenal. And he didn't say it that night. He talked, he introduced a lot of the songs. In fact, it's kind of funny, you know, he's playing some new stuff. He goes, but you guys didn't come to hear the new stuff. You came to hear the old stuff, you know, the stuff that we grew up on in the 60s and the 70s and maybe even the 80s. But there was a song that he wrote in the 2000s, and it's called something about I am an angry man or I'm a mean, mean old man. And he said that after he released that song, Paul McCartney, and if you know the history, and I, I've read a couple of biographies on James Taylor because I like him, and you know, he, he's, I'd love to have a chance to witness to him. But because he says something about music, he said, the church people, the people who have grown up in church, have a way to communicate that I wish the atheists could through song. And he said that's where he learned music. Anyway, um, but, sorry, I just, I just think, you know, rabbit. But, squirrel, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, he said he gets called by Paul McCartney. And Paul McCartney, the Beatles, were actually who helped bring him into prominence. He had gone to London. He got airtime in Apple Studios. That's where he made his success. Came back to the United States. You know, he started you know, making more records. But McCartney calls him and says, Hey, man, this latest song, that's surely a remake, right? He goes, No. He goes, Oh, come on. It has to be some, you know, Cole, Cole Porter or somebody that had to write something like that. He goes, No, I wrote it. And he said, To hear McCartney say, Well, wow, that's outstanding. To hear, you know, like the Sir Paul saying, You're wonderful, made him feel really good. And then he said, A few weeks later, he gets a call from Dylan. Those of you who know that name, anybody know that name? No, you're like, Who is he, man? He's, he's old as time, you know. Bob, you know, things are a-changing, I know. Anyway, that's if, you're, if you're following that, you'd know what I meant. Um, Dylan calls him and gave him praise and said, I listen to your music all the time. And Taylor said, I can have a hundred critics every day, but if I hear a little praise from Bob Dylan and Paul McCartney, it wipes it all away. So my takeaway on that he real, reveals the truth to us that as Christians, when it comes to criticism, consider the source. For us, the best source is God himself. And if he criticizes or tells you to change, then that's what you should do. But on the flip side, all human applause, even an important figure like McCartney or Bob Dylan, is short Lived. It has a shelf life like your milk that you put in the refrigerator. We should look to God for our praise and affirmation, for it has no expiration date. In verse 44, and it's a man, it's taking him forever to get to there. We're going to get done today. Verse 44. Then Jesus cried out. And I tried, you know, Lou comes into my office with uh, Dennis Wright, you know, this is Lou Ranhofer, two of the deacons, very wise men. And I said, here's the word I've been struggling with all week. Cannot pronounce it. And they both pronounce it immediately. I'm like, well, why aren't you guys up here on Sunday morning? <laughs> and I'm just going to say it like this. Onomatopoetic or something like that. It's a word that communicates... By saying it, the sound that it's highlighting. Yeah, there you go. 
Sounds like a sopapilla. I think it's a Spanish word. So, Spanish word, right? Okay, thank you. Yeah. So, if you know a hanamana hona hona hona, you know, that's a type of fish in Hawaii, too. If you know that word, tell me one. Say it out loud. Bang. Bang. Meow. Pow. Very good. Another one? What? Buzz. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought she was saying Bud Light. I mean, you know, that was a, that's another story for another day. The Greek word is krazao. K-R-A-Z-O. And it is the word, the word that describes the sound of a raven. A cacao. I, don't, I can't think of sound like a raven. I'd be better with a chicken. Cock-a-doodle-doo, you know? But Jesus is crying out. And that it has, it, I've missed that each time I've read that as I've prepared till this week. Jesus has so much emotion. He's got, he's screaming out. Guys, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. Guys, if you've heard my voice, you've heard from him. Guys, if you've seen the way I love, that's the way he loves you. And no wonder he's crying because there are people who are not believing. And you back up to that prophecy of Isaiah, their hearts are hardened and their eyes are blind. Believe in me as you believe in the Father. See me as you see the Father and avoid the dark. Believe in the light. For he says, I am the light of the world. I think, world, I think that's chapter 8. So, he says, believe and be healed. Because this is your last chance to praise, followed by your last chance to accept. That's our second point. God is in the business of restoration and second chances, but as great as his love is for us, there will always be a time when tough love has to kick in, a boundary, the last chance to accept him. For some, it would be the grave. For others, it will be when he returns. If you have not accepted him before you die, you have determined your end for eternity. And if you have not accepted him before the trumpet sounds and Christ returns, you have once again decided separation from God in hell. Now, we all want a last chance to repent. Last chance to cash in, if you will. Uh, my soon-to-be son-in-law a few weeks ago sent me the TikTok of uh, the man in the middle, you know, on the... <laughs> Who, who told you you could get to heaven? You know, the man in the middle. And this is a thief on the cross. And it's a great video. I thought about playing that. And I, no, no videos. I'm on withdrawal. Can't play that for them. <laughs> Got to talk to them. So <clears throat> last week, last week, a lottery ticket that was purchased at the Paris, Texas, uh, Paris, Texas gas station was not cashed. It had been purchased in late October of last year. Lottery tickets are worth 180 days of value. After that, they're worth nothing. This particular one, if the owner had brought it into any store before, I think it was April 22nd or April 20th, so it's more, a little more than a week, if they had brought it in by then, they would have received $1 million. Some of you are now digging in your purses or your wallets looking for your claim check. 
Sadly for that person, they become one of the $1.5 billion that has gone unclaimed since Texas started a lottery 32 years ago. That's approximately, this is cliff math, and it's always dangerous, that's approximately $800,000 to $1 million a week that goes unclaimed. I will tell you there are 800000 to 1 million people each week who do not cash in, who do not accept Christ Jesus, that perfect gift for you and I that costs you nothing. I think a lottery ticket costs two bucks. That's a hook. How many are you going to answer? Yeah, yeah. I learned from him. I ain't raising my hand again. Yeah, okay. But it is a gift that he offers to each of us freely. It is worth far more than any lottery will ever give you. So after screaming out, he goes on to say, Believe in me. Check your hearing. Hear my words. I won't judge you. Look at verses 47 through 48. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. That's not the first time he said that. And you'll see that throughout the Gospels. But there, I inserted the but, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. Tim Keller wrote in his recent book, Hope in Times of Fear, about, well, it's a hypothetical because I know there are no men like that in this congregation nor any preacher standing behind the pulpit that might be able to relate. Because he says, imagine an aging man who's having hearing problems and is in denial about it. Claiming that everyone mumbles around him. But finally, his wife gets him to go get his hearing tested. The clear verdict is he needs hearing aids. But when he sees what they cost, he's taken back and says, we can't afford them. But the wife counters with, buy the best ones and consider it a gift from me. That sounds nice, but the man realizes that to accept the gift is to admit weakness. It would be like saying, thanks so much for this. Indeed, I am an aged man who can't hear what people are telling me. Jesus is here today telling you, turn on your hearing aids. Hear me. Accept me. Listen up. And wear them or perish. It's your last chance. Now, I wasn't going to do this because I want to start singing, and I should have given it to you too. You guys could have done it. I think the summer of 1978, those of you who was not alive, now don't raise your hand, it would just make me upset. <laughs> Donna Summer? Yeah, I said last, she says last dance, last chance. I'm trying to lose the romance part, okay? It's basically a last chance for love. Jesus is here saying, I love you. 
listen up. Put the hearing aids on. And okay, it's very dangerous for Baptists to say this, and dance with me. Stand with me, please, we pray. Father, as we have uh, barely scratched the surface of a powerful text, which talks about judgment, and no one wants to talk about that. We, we hate to admit our sin. We hate to admit that we can't hear. But so many times our ears have been closed to the gospel message. And so many times we have kept it to ourselves. We haven't shared with anyone else. Lord, let us go from this place. If, if we are believers, let us go crying out like a raven that your son came, died, came back from the grave, is coming again. He ascended into heaven and is coming back from heaven to judge, not to judge the world, but they will be judged by you how they, whether they accepted or rejected your son, your gift, our lottery ticket, and more, so much more. Lord, if there's someone today that's carrying a burden, they, they feel like they haven't been loved. They feel like the last chance they failed, you will never turn them down. You'll never turn them away. You will receive them with open arms. If that person is here today and they want to come to this altar and pray, they want to come to these steps and kneel, they want to come and talk to me or one of our prayer warriors, Father, we will pray with them. We will ask you to intervene in, in the troubles of their life, to calm their heart, to restore a relationship with you. So whatever concern there is, Lord, let your people respond. And this we pray, knowing that you did not reject us. And we thank you for your love. For I pray it in Christ's name.